Welcome to the Blackout Show, presented by the Guillen Grader, a show about the Chicago White Sox baseball, the good, the bad, the ugly. We'll debate what's working and what's not on the south side of Chicago. It's old school versus new school baseball. And most importantly, we're keeping all the receipts. Yo, what is up, everybody? I am back from Vegas, and a little catch-up from last week. Um, earlier last week, Corey Lee on an infield ground out was dogging it down the baseline. Pedro took note of it, took him out of the game, and now today he hits a three-run blast for his first home run of the season. Junior, you called out accountability from Luis Robert Jr. earlier in the season that turned it into an MVP season. What do you think is going to happen here with our, well, I should say your man, Corey Lee, with how you're familiar with him? Because um, he's a tandem. He's going to be part of the catching tandem going to 2024. So talk to me a little bit about Corey Lee and your thoughts. Well, I think that it's probably the second best move Pedro Grafal has done in his managerial career with the Chicago White Sox. I might say the first one because the first time he did it, he rebuttaled and said that Pantera's legs were actually hurting. Um, but I think it was great. I think that people were overreacting, saying that, why are you getting on the rookie? You never told – you never ripped on Eloy. You never ripped on Moncada. You never – maybe maybe Pedro's scared of them. And that's, that's Pedro's – that's on Pedro. Uh, but for Corey Lee and for my uh, benefit, which I want Corey Lee to do well, I think it's a good thing. I think Corey – Needs to realize that this is a big leagues. He had a lapse in a mental lapse. It's not going to make or break him. Um, that nothing's guaranteed. And it wasn't if he played. It looked like when he came out of the box that he wasn't sure. Um, it wasn't one that he just dogged it and didn't like just stood there and not run. But he didn't look like he was running like someone that just got to the big leagues. So you know what? They called him out. A little wake up call. Uh, but he's responded to it. Um, and that's what he's supposed to be there. Hopefully, uh, uh, me knowing knowing Corey personally, I don't, I, I don't think he took it personal. Took, he just took like a learning moment and move on. Um, but that's it. I, I don't think this is going to be Corey Lee's last manager in the big leagues. Uh, he's a young kid with a, with a bright future. And I, and I have him catching either as a starting catcher for next year or some version of platooning or, or being the backup as he gets it to bat. So first home run, hopefully the force of many for him. I, I, don't, I think he'll be a kid that can go, you know, 15 to 20 home runs deep, play good de- defense. Um, but he could, he definitely could help this team. So I'm, I'm okay with Pedro doing what he did, uh, whatever anyone else thinks about how he handled players who are more veteran versus rookie. That's Pedro's decision. Uh, I I know it's hard for guys like Pedro that want to be liked to be able to rip everybody equally. It's easy to rip a minor leaguer guy that just came up compared to a guy who's a veteran, but that's their own decision, how they run stuff in their clubhouse. 
for me, it's worked out for Corey. He went deep. So uh, hopefully, hopefully he'll get ripped. He'll get ripped less, but he'll have the same type of results moving forward. Well, from what it sounds like, OJ, he understood what what taking place. Like I got pulled because I fucking didn't run out of pop up. And then what what I like from Grafal is he learned from his mistake with doubling down. Uh, well, not doubling down, but saying, you know, Pantera's legs hurt. That's why I pulled him. No, he was being a dickhead and, and fucking hot dog, the ground ball. Corey Lee did the same thing on the pop-up, but he understood why he was benched. Now, the season has been a shit show. It oh. has been one of, the worst one of the worst seasons of my lifetime. But the two times Grafal put his dick on the table and say, this is not the brand of baseball we're going to play, the players have responded. Now, you could say whatever you want about the win-loss record. Cool. But I got talented players responding to coaching. That's at least a silver lining, especially when, uh, like you said at OJ, Corey Lee ain't here for a fucking cup of coffee. I'm going to be honest with though. I, I, when I when Pedro Gafal took the job and he took on the podium, looking back at his little college background, meaning when I call guys college, means you didn't play in the big leagues. Pedro Gafal pretty much probably earned every at-bat that he got in college. He's a Tom and Mansky type of player, meaning you guys ever seen the the, the, the video on, on the commercial Tom and Mansky back-to-back AAU champions and Fred McGriff puts on the hat and he's like, it's like a 1990s video. It's basically like a fundamental baseball video. And that's who Pedro Grafal is, a grinder, uh, Buck Show Walter type of guy. Uh, very different than guys like Ozzy Guillen, uh, Rocco Baladelli, guys that were very good baseball players, guys that things came to them very naturally, uh, big league guys with a lot of big league time. Uh, so Pedro's a guy that's earned every bit. So when I thought when he took over the team, especially coming from the Kansas City Royals, a team that's very young and and vibrant and, you know, coming from Matheny as his bench coach, as his manager, I thought he was going to be Johnny Hardnose. I thought, I thought Pedro was going to come in here and rip everybody apart. I even called it out. I said, first guy he rips is Pantera. Youngest guy on the team, never been ripped. He, he's going to be the first one to mess up. I thought Pedro's going to be very vocal and very, like, you know, getting on players and doing that. I'm not even talking about the media because sometimes people think that people only get ripped on the media, but Pedro hasn't even done it in private. Because when it, when they get ripped in private, you you know enough people in the clubhouse, you know who's getting ripped and who's not. But he's been very nonchalant, more of a people's manager, love me, love me, more of a veteran type of feel, and which is complete a complete surprise from me. Because I thought he was going to be a hard ass. I thought he was going to be on players' butts. And I respect that, just like I thought Tony was going to do that. So I've been 0 for 2 on two managers that I thought were going to come here and just be like, I don't give an F because I'm the boss now. One, because he was a young manager. And the other guy, Tony, because he was like, I'm old and I'm just going to rip people apart and no one's going to care. But I do believe that it has an effect. I have a, a, a quick story here. I think I give a lot of credit to the success that Ozzie Guillen had in his career because of the way Tony La Russa was with him, meaning he rode him like Seabiscuit every single day, every single, his first two years in the big league, every single time he can get on him to, to teach him. And, and, and Ozzy was frustrated. And Harold Bain said, if, he, if, he's not, if he's not ripping on you, it means he doesn't care about you. So I always believe that when a coach is on top of a player and a player has the maturity and, uh, and the ability to look beyond that and not take it personal, uh, I think that you respond really, really well. I, it's funny because it's kind of like Ozzy with Tim Anderson. People think that Ozzy hates Tim Anderson. Ozzy just thinks that Tim Anderson has could be one of the greatest shortstops to ever put a uniform on for the Chicago White Sox, and he just needs to find his way to get there. 
some people are, that's just how you show the, it's like when you're parenting, that's how you just know how to, you know, tell a player. So it's different. So for Pedro, I think that he's two for two. And if I was going to give him an advice, do it more often. You've gotten better results than the other crap you've been doing. Uh, <laughs> because it's obviously hasn't really worked. No, seriously, uh, passive aggressiveness does not work with this fucking organization. Oh, no, no, and, and they need no. some toxic masculinity in the fucking clubhouse. They do. And the passive aggressive, it's hard to pull off passive aggressive when you don't have the the hardware to be passive aggressive. You look dumb yeah. when you're being passive aggressive in baseball and you don't have the hardware. Um, and again, when you're a team that works hard and you tell that they work really hard and, and Ricky's boys don't quit, they still lost a lot of games, but just the demeanor of the team, the way that you go about it, the way that you go about your business, uh, people start perceiving you different. And this team is perceived right now as lazy, uh, overfed, uh, meaning they're sitting pretty, all got paid. There's, and, they're fucking zoo animals. Yes, correct. So so I, I like the fact that 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 he caught on Corey because I think it's going to benefit Corey in the long run because, again, Corey cannot take this job and think that he is the next starting catcher for the next seven seasons because someone named him that a general manager can say that I believe in major league baseball, you have to earn your position at yeah. one point or another, because even if you're paid to play that every day, you'll get benched if you don't play well. And it's really just the mindset too, because I mean, it's going to be probably no surprise if gets and Grafal want to go and get Selby Perez in the trade. And, and there Corey goes again, being the backup um, like he was in Houston. And, it's a mindset he's gonna have to roll with because you know that's what's gonna be like probably only for two ne years, next though. year. Yeah. Two years. Salvi comes to the White Sox for two years. So Corey Lee needs to get on Salvi and say, Hey, I'm young in my career. I need to get these two years to produce, either to be the everyday catcher here for the future, okay, or play myself to another contract, which was which was like the situation with with uh with Flowers and AJ. Okay, that was like kind of like the mentality that they had of like, can you pass the torch? Um, and you, I think it's better when in football, when you have a quarterback and you have a guy that sits behind a quarterback for two or three years and you know, he's a nice guy up in football, they kind of like accept it in baseball. For some reason, the backup catchers, um, and we're going to talk about this guy later, Ron Karkovice, he was like Carlton Fisk backup for like seven years, uh, when he could have been playing every day, uh, just because he had a hall of famer in front of him. But I believe that Corey needs to take that as an opportunity, uh, because if Salvi does come, I think Corey can still be a part of this team. Uh, and again, I, I believe that I, Knowing Chris Getz as a player, Chris Getz, again, was a guy that he had to work really hard at what he did. So I know Getz likes those those uh, grimy, grinding players like Ozzie Guillen does, which is very different than me. I like guys that are just good. But there's that certain demeanor of guys that like guys that are like hard-nosed, playing, let's go get them. And I thought Pedro was that guy, the way that he was building his con, you know, the way that he was talking about building and whatnot. And this was a, kind of like a spark of what we thought he might be. Uh, because right now he's underperforming. Regardless of this team's record, you should not be 33 games under 500. You should be, even if you have a losing record, you should not be getting rolled, you know, losing six run leads, getting rolled 12 to nothing on the first day of a series. There's This team right now looks like it's in dire desperation, cannot wait the season to end. And that's not good because this is when you're building that culture. Yeah, and then you're fucking in a rush to end this season. What do you think next season going to be? Just a shortcut to the same fucking feeling you had this year. By the way, it's not a year, Justin. People believe that the offseason is a year, like a sabbatical that you get to sit out. It's like three months. Yeah. It's like three, four months. Like, you know, it, it's not even a pregnancy. Like, it's legitimately the shortest. It's a trimester. It's literally a trimester. It's, a trimester. Okay. it's very, it's very so like 
for you to change your mind mentally. And that's if, if I if I was an advisor to the team, that's what Chris Getz needs to tell these guys. And be like, even if I'm not DFAing you, let's change the mentality. Let's have a zero and zero record. Let's go from this moment on, okay, in my era, and let's try to really play some solid baseball. Let's see some some different type of approaches. Just because I don't think it's I don't think it's early enough to start building for next season. Um, because if they do want to turn it around, like they're telling everybody, it's not just going to be signing Salvador Perez and him coming here and be like, uh-huh. I'm Salvador Perez, I'm a leader, and everybody does good. It's it got it got to start in house first. Start in house first, because like, uh, fucking that's what Project Birmingham is. It's acceleration of the development process, and that's I had to sit back and figure out like what the fuck did Reinsdorf see and gets to get him elevated. When I realized a lot of the White Sox resources are down in Double A, and they did that for a reason. They want to accelerate the rebuild process, so anytime the 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 cabinet is bare. They don't got to wait a full three to five business days to refill. They could probably go a day and a half without it. The problem is White Sox front office didn't put anything in the cabinet worth cooking. So now we got to go to the grocery store and still prep the fucking food. Yeah, they got they got they got they got. They have a three or four year window to replenish gets in this draft and kind of just bring up, you know, develop like the new crop that you're going to have ready, like in three to four years of those players, but they have to kind of speed up the process on guys. You might've waited a two or three years on um, and bring them up as soon as possible. That's why I would bring them up next year in 2024, 2023, 2024, like just to see like what they have and just be able to go because people's expectations are, I don't think that they're expecting a world series or even a playoff run, but you need to get as close as possible to 500 as you can and change the branding of baseball that we're watching. The branding of baseball that we're watching right now is embarrassing, okay? It's embarrassing to the point that you're you're a meme. You're losing games on a balk, okay? You're losing six-run leads. You're missing cutoff men. You're not playing solid baseball. And that's where I like the fact that I told Corey Lee, run the bases. You got to start from the fundamentals. And that's what I want. That's what they need. That's their goal. For next year, it's not a division. It's changes the brand of baseball. Like we went from like, you know, uh, change the game to like, what does that like? Th- change the game was like better than this crap. Like this is bad. Like this is just a very bad brand of baseball and something that White Sox fans are not used to because shit. You know, hey, OJ, it went from change the game to whoop your kids, according to Pedro Grafal. I like it. I like. No, yeah, no. I, again, though, the, he has to the way that you gain the fans' trust is by getting those little wins of benching guys, grinding it out, finding ways, being like doing the little things because you're not going to go and win a division tomorrow, but you got to be able to gain the trust. And and I know why, and I know why Chris gets is keeping telling, saying Pedro's a guy for next year. Again, it's a good selling point. It's smart financially, but Pedro's in, Pedro's in his first year of managing. Okay. Pedro right now could go down as the greatest interviewer of all time because the way they made it seem out to be the fans, he beat Joe Espada, future baseball big league manager and well-renowned coach who's very good at what he does. He beat Long. He beat Carlos Mendoza. He beat your former World Series manager who's not even 60 yet. The guy that won the World Series, you told the fan base that this guy blew your mind so much 
And Chris Getz was part of that group, by the way, that they blew, they blew their mind so much that you went with him. So they must have seen something in that interview that changed the game for them and changed the mindset that this is the guy. So right now, that guy in his first year is underachieving. They might say, we bet on him. We bet we might be able to try to see what he has year two. Uh, and <clears throat> they, yeah, they have to be able to make a, a fast move because here's a dangerous part. If you don't make a decision and, 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 and decide early enough for him and you just let him ride out and do three, four years and all that, you're setting yourself back even way longer because you're trying to get these guys as ready as possible. Even if you, even if, if, if Chris Getz is thinking down the road, like I'm going to win in 2016, 2027, 2028, whoever's the manager today, Pedro, Ozzy, Justin, Chris, Gonzo, me, whoever it is, needs to get these guys ready to play in a pennant race later on. That's why when, when people talk about Ozzy in the World Series, I always say Jerry Manuel doesn't get enough credit for what he had done with that court because Jerry had done a really good job of, of, of making really good baseball players out of those guys that, um, that were there prior to Ozzy getting there. And just like Ozzy said, and he said it on foul territory, what would you address? And he said it to the team when he got there in 04. He said, the only reason I'm here is because you guys have underachieved for a very good manager in Jerry Manuel. You know, you guys got Jerry Manuel fired. And he went on to say, I got coaches fired before. I was a player. I've done it many of times. So that's what you have to realize is that. Hey, 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 OJ, you think uh, you think Pedro Grafal told the players you got fucking Tony La Russa fired? No, you got a hall. Of, you got a hall of fame manager. No, fired. no, 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 no. He wouldn't have so said that. So Pedro Grafal, Pedro Grafal, don't like honesty that. or. No, I just don't think he likes shaking the boat. And you know, it's you can't. It's not fair to compare both. Number one, Ozzy Guillen played big league baseball for 14 years. When you've played that long, 14, 15, 16 years, you got in those paychecks, you really don't give an F about what people think about you. When you coach and you're good at what you do and you've won and you've had success, you you're kind of like a regular kind of like uh like Deion Sanders right now in college. Like he's not scared. He's not he's not like worried about like, oh my God, like I'm gonna make this, I'm making this much money. It's just like I'm here. Guys like Pedro Grafal, it's like if you and I got the job. Pedro Grafal probably went from making 60, 70, 80K a year to making $1.5, $2 million. He has jumped the whole five brackets in taxes probably. Him and his account are having a way different conversation than they were last year. Okay? He did no not dollar menu for Grafal these days. He, he did not make big league money. Okay? He's just a normal guy grinding his way out. So you get the big league job. You're not going out there to piss anybody off. You're like, I'm going to do my job. I'm not going to get on anybody's bad side. I'm just going to go how this goes. And, and you go about it. And then one day you might wake up like Dale, uh, like what's his name out in San Diego and uh, Diamondbacks said that he woke up two years into the job and said, I'm done kissing butt. I'm done doing this. Uh, uh, Tori uh, Laval. Laval, yeah. He said it in his interview. said, two years into the job, I said, I'm going to get fired regardless. I'm going to snap. And he did. And, and it's worked out for him. So Pedro's got to decide of like, when you're a first year manager, like how long can you be Mr. Nice Guy and maybe and be like, oh, I'm gonna have this job forever when I'm Mr. Nice Guy? Because guess what? If you lose, you just had a whole fan base turn on you in less than a season. In less than one season, everybody in this fan base, I don't know. It's so funny. It's like presidential elections in Venezuela. Nobody <laughs> voted for Chavez at one point. Everyone pretends that nobody voted for this guy 20 years ago. I'm like, how did he get in power in the first place? No, no White Sox fans now wanted Pedro Gonzalez as a manager. No one. 
Everybody's like, oh, I didn't want Pedro. Oh, no, 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 no. I wasn't a Pedro guy. Bullshit. Yes, you were. We all were. We said, okay, well, this guy's the guy they want. It is what it is. Everybody was excited about the press conference. He said everything was perfect. He said the right words, and now nobody's on his boat. That's the big difference. So he needs to decide on himself. This offseason for him, he's going to have to have a heart-to-heart. And, and, and again, actions are going to speak louder than words because guess what? Even if Chris Getz wants to keep you, if you don't have improvement off the team, Chris Getz will have to fire you. He will have to fire you. Fire your coach. Right now, I'm, I'm, I'm right now, I'm in this point right now. They need to, he, Chris Getz might fire some coaches around him just to wake some people up. I'm going to be honest with you, OJ. I don't see a lot of people making it to the winner. Go ahead, Gonzo. Oh, that's a great point. And that is going to transition us into what just happened. The bigger news of this week was the official introduction, re- introduction press conference by the White Sox. As we saw, Jason Bignetti uh, welcome the new uh, baseball president of operations and general manager Chris Getz to the stage. And Jerry spoke some words. Um, Justin, I want to know some of your thoughts on what you heard from that press conference. What stood out to you? Well, Jerry lied to me again. Now, this motherfucker only talks twice a year, and he's still lying to me. What do you mean you're fucking upset? You promoted the guy that made you upset. What do you mean you're having a sense of urgency with the team when you promoted the developer of the delinquents? Okay. Now, I'm, a, I'm, I'm one of big, Jerry's biggest bootlickers because he gave me the Michael Jordan legacy, and he gave me 05. But I'm 30 years old right now. My favorite player in franchise history is Johan Mangada. My White Sox fandom is a fucking joke in 2023. And Jerry Reinsdorf got on the fucking podium and introduced a guy that I didn't want to have the job. So that's how I'm feeling, Gonzo. That's how I'm fucking feeling. Thank you for asking. So I had a couple notes here. We can go one by one. I'll get your thoughts on them. First, let's start start off with Pedro staying for 2024. Um, honestly, I think we discussed this in the last two episodes. Honestly, with you probably want to start over because we've all seen what this guy has done, and nothing's changing. He hasn't really made any improvements for on the field, and, and you know that coaching acumen. What we've seen. We were disappointed, and we actually thought we would see um, more from him. Um, is there anything? Let's just say this, though. If he's staying for 2024, since that's what we've been told, what do you think Pedro can do in this last month of baseball that can give you any hope going into next season? He has to hit for the cycle. My manager has to hit for the cycle for me to have hope for fucking next season. Like what? What is there, Gonzo? We're thirty games under five hundred. My everybody, where's the fucking suit? Thirty-three. We're thirty-three games under five hundred. Everybody who's important and wearing a suit for the fucking team is telling me they're not rebuilding when they hired a rookie manager and they traded away a lot of fucking salary. That cites a rebuild in baseball terms. I don't know. I'm just a dumb fan. No, you know what? You're not. Justin, you know, I think people in the Sox, the part I think where people are the most upset is that White Sox fans jumped on the bandwagon of we're going to do this rebuild and we're going to be okay losing 100 games multiple years in a row. Um, and they supported it, followed it, cheered it on. Um, and, and, and then they felt lied to because when the moment came when they were supposed to compete, it did not seem that things were being done for them to compete. Okay. 
the part where it was hard for the Pedro go for hire was because you were going to give the responsibility of a, a guy that might have a great future in baseball management and career. Looking back at it, giving the reins to a team that's going to be ready to win right now, who is a rookie, is a huge gamble. Just as big as it was back in, in 2004 when when Kenny gave the, the, the team to Ozzy over Cito Gaston. That, that move, I would have not done it 9 out of 10 times. I wouldn't have done it. I would have gone to Cito. Especially with Cito Gaston winning with, with Gaston, Gaston, Toronto. Cito Gaston. Cito Gaston, had Cito Gaston not been African, had Jerry Manuel not been African American and then had the same demeanor, I think Ozzy doesn't get the job. But Jerry Manuel and Cito Gaston were so alike in in the way they look and the way that they are personality wise that Ozzy had a huge advantage. But even Ozzy, and we all talk about this, Cito Gaston is one of the best managers to ever do it. The, the guy's record for itself. So even if they thought Ozzy was this amazing genius, it was a very hard bet and a hard gamble that Kenny took and did it. So they did it this time and. The other one worked out because they won a World Series. Had they not won and they, you know, lost 100 games and had to do a rebuild, you know, if 05 doesn't work, then this Kenny, looking back at it, is like, you're an idiot. You didn't pick Cito Gaston over Ozzie and you're a moron. But that's not the story. This is right now is going to be the story on Pedro of, like, did they make the right move? Because they gave this opportunity to a first-year manager. So you were, you were banking on him twice. You were banking on a first-year manager, a third-year Big league pitching coach, okay? So when you're putting those times together, you're banking on a, on a very nov- novice type of team, like going forward into competing with a very young roster. And that's the part where, you know, people were fanting, fans were concerned of, they wanted the big names. And I think right now, you know, to be honest, I'm going to talk a little bit about the press conference. Um, I, I wish that Jerry wouldn't have talked, to be honest. Um, yeah. Because I think that he was just being honest. And I think sometimes you don't, you don't let people hear what you already know. It's like when you're president of a country, um, you just can't get on the podium and say, stuff's bad, we know. You just can't, like, it's just hard to hear it. And he was just being so nonchalant about it, meaning he wasn't doing it, like, in a bad way. He was just talking. Um, that he opened up himself that we all, that everyone found out that there wasn't an interview process, okay? Um, so that part kind of opened him up to, to, to critiques. Um, even though, let's say he would have waited a month to the end of the season, and then he could have said that the last month he talked to people, even though you think it might not have happened, at least it gives you some reality of like, it could have happened. Uh, but the fact that he flat out just came out and said that, um, you know, I think rubbed people the wrong way. I think that the whole thing with the shooting, them not having a press conference beforehand and having it kind of like mixed over, confused people. I felt bad for Getz. Thank God it was Getz and not me. I would have been like, go ask CPD. I'm here to build a baseball team. Ask me about Montgomery. Ask me about how bad this guy's playing. Don't ask me about something I have no idea what the hell's going on about. But I like that Chris was being Chris. You know, he fumbled some words. Um, He didn't look polished. He was just being Chris, and I like that. I, I think when a guy is out there super polished and says everything perfect, Pedro Grafal, it starts giving you kind of like, ooh, this guy's a little bit too good at his job. Chris Getz, I, I thought that he was going to be the general manager. I didn't think they were going to give him the reins of the whole, the, you know, the, the whole system. The whole fucking thing, OJ. You know what, though? I think that moving forward, though, if, if Chris plays it the right way and he realizes that he is a better baseball operations moving the pieces from the top, he could get himself a really good general manager and be successful at his job. What Chris cannot do is try to do everything because baseball operations is like, 
that's your day-to-day world of like you're running the whole organization. You're a GM. You're in the you're in the trenches with the manager, and you're talking like statistics and numbers and what's the lineup, and you're 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 in it every day. Like who's going up, who's coming down. And in baseball, if you're kind of running like, for example, you're getting ready for a draft. Your your priority is not the game in the stadium that day. Your your priority is the draft. Where are we going to pick? Who's going to take what? You know, if, worst case scenarios, best case scenarios. How do we compare a draft compared to our international signings? If if you're if 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 I'm giving Chris an advice, I'm telling Chris, you get on the plane, you go see the kids in Latin America. You know, if you need to give a guy a hundred grand, two hundred grand, you go there and see him yourself. If you're between two first rounders, you go and make the decision yourself. You go and talk to those kids eye to eye and make those decisions. Um, I think that that's that's a difference in the job, and people don't get that. You're investing in in in, in the franchise. The GM's just running the day to day operations, talking to the media, whatever it is. That it, so you can manage it different ways, but so I, I think that him having a number two, which right now is Haber, and I'm not a big fan of it. I hope that, you know, they move him somewhere else so he brings – gets somebody that can really help him in there. But right now he's got a huge, huge responsibility. He's doing the job of, of what two people used to do before. So I think that for him is realizing where he's going to be better at. And even if even if he's still the head of baseball operations and he's got to do more of the GM work and he lets somebody else do the, the baseball operations side, he can't falter. The, the challenging part when you're managing – of franchises, you have to worry about what's on the field right now and this problem, and how do I keep my team competitive for the next five, six, seven years the way that I draft and develop? So you have two worlds. You're serving two masters. There. You're, you're, you're doing both things. I'll give you an example. Ozzy, for example, when he was a big league manager, he always say, I could care less what's happening in the minor leagues. He would have one meeting, say, this is the philosophy that we have. He'd check on some players. But he would check on minor league baseball maybe once or twice a month because his world was the big leagues. And 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 Don Cooper, and they would use their their uh like their pitching coordinator and their hitting coordinator to see like what guys would be ready to come up on certain guys that they either had either kind of like circled or guys that could be a surprise. But Ozzy was not like going home and watching videos of minor leagues because he was doing that with big league guys. So that's the separation of when you're in the big league staff and the, in the minor league staff. So he needs to kind of separate those two. Uh, but, but again, I'm not surprised that Jerry picked the kid, picked the guy that he was familiar with. We just got to give him time because his, I don't think you can judge Chris Getz until two or three years from now, you know, depending on this draft and how they develop the guys that they currently have and the moves that they can make. Um, I really don't think, and, and, and I think the hope that Jerry, and I think that a lot of the fans are trying to see is that, you really got to hope that that Chris Getz was not uh, – that he really had his hands tied. And the way that it seemed, the, the toxicity between Rick and Kenny, which is not something that I don't think anybody had a preview to. I didn't. I thought they got along really well, um, that there was a lot of toxicity and maybe Chris Getz had his hands tied on moves that he maybe wanted to make or or uh, or situations he wanted to do because the way that it, the, the organization is rolling right now, let's say Chris Getz wanted to move Colson Montgomery up in the pipeline – it looks like he really didn't have that power that he could suggest it, but then in theory it was going to be made a decision made by somebody else. So that's right. that you kind of like hope that his brightness is uh, is is a little bit better than what has has been showing, um, and that those players are going to be the ones that are going to uh, to kind of set his tone on what he's going to be like as a GM. Yeah, you I want to see where his alpha is right now. Not to cut you off, Gonzo, but let's just take a look at Chris Getz's player career. It's nothing spectacular. Mostly a role player coming off the bench. I mean, he had the the one year where he had 
He played over 100 games, but in totality, he's been a utility guy coming off the bench and infielder. Very smart player. He is cut. He is cut from the Craig Council cloth. And when you got a a guy like that who has been through the system, knows how everything works, knows how kids want to be talked to, knows how parents want to be talked to. OJ, that's why it's important for him to get his ass on the plane and talk to these parents instead of these other like, robots. No, and he. You know what? It's something I'm going to give Chris. I've seen a human at the podium oh, during the press very conference. Guy. I like that. Chris is very likable. You talk to Chris Getz, um, everybody likes Chris. He's he's authentic when he comes, you know, came off as a player. Um, he's an authentic, he's an authentic human being. He's always Chris. So that part, you know, those guys he just rub you the wrong way. Like, ah, oh, this guy, like he he doesn't have that pompousness to him. Um, I think he's very prepared academically wise, a smart guy. Uh, but again, I think that his job is going to be surrounding himself with smarter guys than him and and mm-hmm. and, and, and him just you know what? Just holding everybody accountable. Hold Jerry accountable. Hold your staff accountable. Hold your players accountable. Hold your yourself accountable. That's that's what's going to make him successful. Because if you're going to sit back and just do what everyone expects you to do, have a plan, write it out, and go with it. If we're going to go a little bit more analytical, which I think they should, they only have five people right now across the whole organization working on analytics. You need to have those numbers to back up what you're going to do. They don't say the whole story, but they definitely help you when you're making decisions. How do you combine both in development? Bring young minds in. Bring coach, old coaches with new coaches. Find a blend of baseball that you want to that you want to win. Are we going to build around pitching? Are we going to build around defense? Are we going to build around power hitting? Right now, right. we don't have that in our organization where we say we're very good at developing pitching. We're very good at developing defensive players. We're really we don't good. have a fucking calling card right now. We don't. We don't. Organization. And we need that. We, we They need that calling card. We don't card. even have first base no more. We need that calling card, and he needs to provide that for them. Again, I believe that that's – there's hopes. Even guys like Ozzy, man, like you can't you, – you you like Chris. Everybody likes Chris. Like Chris is a, is a well-liked guy around baseball, and – so he's going to get a lot of help from that sense, uh, and 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 hopefully he's been seeing all these problems from up close. And dude, I got to give it to you. I got to give it to Chris because when I made the joke about him being Littlefinger, and and uh, and him being uh, John Gotti and the Paul Castellano thing, I was I was messing around. I was not because I said when they yeah. hired him, was this a was this a, a Chris Getz hire because of Kansas City, and then you start seeing the things play out. And people might not be giving Chris the, the credit that, that he deserves. He took out two giants, okay, in his organization. Two giants with two one staples blow. in the organization. In organizations with one blow and jumped two spots. So if I was anybody right now, like we might think that Pedro's safe. Chris might be like, he's fired. We don't know what he's yeah. thinking. He might we don't really know because he's been doing all these moves. We he looks innocent and like non-threatening. We don't know what he's thinking. So right now, if I was like a player or a coach, I'm not taking for anything for his word. I'm just working hard and doing my job, but I'm not trusting anything that he's saying because if you were in the if we were in the streets, which I always like to come, he just took out his two bosses with one blow. So I want to ask Gonzo a question real quick. Now we got Grafal from Kansas City. We got Chris Getz. You know he had history with us in Kansas City. I could make the argument that Chris Getz got hired because he already had his manager in place and Jerry see that. Like the stars were too aligned internally 
for Jerry to even think about thinking, uh, well, to think about going external when it was already a Jerry situation on his lap. What do you think, Gonzo? Uh, that's hard to say because part of this conference, this just seems more out of de- desperation than anything that was really planned. Yeah. Um, I do. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of weird co- coincidences in there. Um, but perhaps let's just say going forward, if there's more coincidences, like now we get, now we for sure go get Selby Perez and then a couple others. And then I'm like, all right, like this just seems like a whole cluster fuck going on behind everyone's backs going on in that front office. Um, but let me wrap this up here because I have three thoughts on my notebook that can kind of be combined together with what junior said earlier, which was, we didn't really want to hear Jerry. Um, now, when this was all made officially, of course, we would have wanted to hear Jerry. But with what he said in that press conference, at the end of the day, led to more distaste than anything. So he was better off not saying anything. Um, and let me go on these three thoughts here. Uh, my first one was, there seems to be a confusion of a core because Chris Getz first spoke and said that everybody on this roster is available. Everybody. And then when Jerry comes on to the podium, he goes, oh, no, we have a core, and we have assets that we are going to build around. So that is straight-up confusion. Rami Gonzalez and Brian Ramos. Yeah, no, that's just straight-up confusion. And um, I just don't understand – how can you say that? How can you have that confusion, Jerry, when you're the, you just had an interview, presumably with your internal candidate that you just hired, like you guys should be on the same page going forward, especially when you go in front of the media and the fan base. Gonzo. So one thing that I'm going to bring that on you, that, that he never, he, he said that he liked the way that his minor league system had been and things were happening in the minor league system. You have to realize when he says those words, fans are thinking about wins and losses and development of players. It might be that he, he's just, there's just been no issues or things have been handled well, or, or well, he's been, so I don't think so. The no, my first, about, my first statement comes from Guff asking him about the core. Yeah. Well, the core is like, what, who's okay. I want a question. What, who's the core? I'm going to ask you guys, what, Gonzo, what's your core? I want to see what your core looks like. We're going to see. Right Ron Right now, it's going to be Robert, Cease, and Vaughn. Okay. Justin, what's your core? Robert. Okay. That's it. That's fine. Okay. That's fine. That's I'm, it. I'm going to be honest with you right now. My, my core right now today, from everything that I know, is Louis Robert. You know why? He's the only guy under control in enough years with enough, time, with enough numbers that he's shown and potential analytically old school, new school, future school that I can say, Hmm, that guy's a baller. I don't include C's because you're going to have to extend him to a lot of money. If he has somewhat of a good year again. Okay. And potentially Vaughn, I'll give you a point because he does have years under control under him. So right now I'm looking at, at, at control and time. And when we're talking about the core, that's a really good conversation because the core is very different for everybody. I've heard some cores still got TA. For example, Pedro Grafal's core 
has tea and moncada in it. I want to say something right now. He says it every day. I want to say something right now. People think Andrew Vaughn is a part of the fucking core. Let me tell you something. The White Sox just traded high draft, high draft capitalized right-handed power to fucking Miami. And if you don't think for a second, 15 to 18 home run, Andrew Vaughn won't be shopped next offseason to retool. You got another thing coming because first base is the easiest position to replace right-handed 220 home, I mean, 20 home run hitting right-handed uh, players are easy to find in so Ron Manfred's league. So you could you could find them on this league, but the thing with, depending on how you're going to build this team, you can go away. The difference is if you have Andrew at first and he becomes a 20-25 home run guy, you have to go get yourself a, a ridiculous right fielder. Pantera blows up more or the third baseman, or the catcher. You always, you could basically say, oh, he could become like the Joe Creedy and kind of flip-flop the positions. Um, and that's where, again, when you go deep in the conversations of, you go back to Jake Berger, and the way that it looks at it, it's like, well, Jake Berger had years of control. He could be at third. Who's the future third baseman? The other, the issue that we have right now, which Gonzo talked about it earlier, is you got the Birmingham project coming up. Yep. In order to have success with that many rookies around, you have to be very talented and very uh, concise on how you're making the moves, okay? Because they're big, pretty much bringing up the core. So the quicker they bring these guys up to the big league so we find out who has what and who is going to be here and who is going to produce because you can't – let's say Brian Ramos does not work out at third, then you might have to move Andrew Vaughn because you might need a 40-home run hitter at first base. But as long as you don't know who's going to be at third, you can't really decide on Andrew Vaughn. So that's why C's need, uh, that's what they need to realize real quick what they're going to do because you got to be able – if that's an issue, you can use C's to bring people back, okay? You could start using and being realistic and say, what can we bring back and help build this team as fast as possible to getting back to 500? Because if they sit around and try to just do it by just adding pieces, they're going to be in for some deep, 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 deep rebuilding. Hell, yeah. Think about this, OJ. Uh, let's just take it back to Corey Lee for a second. There were two two young catchers being traded for in that sequence. Uh, Eddie Cuero, who is younger than Corey Lee, and got a little bit more plate tools. I'm not well, saying he's, he's the ball harder than Corey Lee. Catcher. He's a real catcher. Yeah, he's he's a prototype for the position. Now, yeah. you already got Corey Lee, who's of age to where you don't have to be married to him. Uh-huh. So that's why the, the Edward Cuero trade was beautiful. Because it saved yourself from being a dumbass trading for two catchers. Catchers are the hard position to get there, but I like the Corey Lee. If he does well, you can always move him. Um, give time to to, to curl. I mean, he's a he, he's a bat first. He's he's an OPS catcher. Like there's there's gonna be an area on your roster for a catcher that provides OPS. But it's gonna be interesting for the people that are enjoy, that enjoy. And I think Gonzo and I think you enjoy it as much as I do. For the people that enjoy the part of baseball of building a team, okay, I'm excited because I'm going to get to see how big of a genius Ethan Katz is. Mm-hmm. Because you now you got now you have people to work with. Now, now he's building from scratch. Yeah. Okay, so now now you that the reason I like the Guardians, meaning the way they develop pitching, is because they don't keep anybody. They develop them, they get rid of them. Like they use them, and then when they're going to get rich, they just send them off somewhere because they're like, we got somebody else coming in. Like that's just their model. Right now, you have the opportunity when you've got a couple guys that have been on the roster for a long time, and you're getting to see these younger pitchers coming in and saying, okay, what can we do? Who can we develop? 
out of the five guys can we trade? Can we find two two big league starters? Can you, so now from the people that are into developing players and developing yeah. talent, this is what you have to do. And if it's the Birmingham project, don't make it a project anymore. Bring those guys up to the big leagues and have them play with Pedro. Like, what's the genius? So if, if Pedro's sitting back there and saying, I don't like the veteran guys, I'm scared of them, then take them away from him. Give him kids. Maybe he's better managing kids. Maybe Pedro's scared of, of guys in big contracts. There's some managers that are. Maybe he's better. Hey, off the, the, there are there are guys in positions of authority that can't handle larger egos in them. Like, yeah. how many coaches and managers in sports coach guys making more money than them? All of them. All of them. <laughs> so and masculinity, so- money runs masculinity. So you put that together, you got a coach managing a guy who's making a hundred times his salary. That's a that's a big social gap that most men can't handle. That's why Phil Jackson the goat. Greg so Popovich the goat. So the second thing on my list that Jerry said was the whole thing about him hiring internal was due to competing right away, then wasting a year for an external source to to uh, look over his system and to decide what is best moving forward. And my whole reasoning behind this whole statement was, well, you're going to be wasting a whole year anyways going internal because you're still that many holes away from actually competing. Um, Even with um, Getz being player development in the minor leagues, knowing the organization, um, he's – if you bring them up as your internal source, there's still way too many holes to fill but to truly not, compete. But he's not wasting a year because he already knows it. And that's where people, he's not wasting a year. And that's when he puts on, you guys seen the meme when the guy puts on the little gangster, the gangster glasses on. Dude, he is the owner of the team. Everybody's lucky that Jerry Reiser was on Ozzie Jr. Or he's not my grandpa. I would have been like, do you just drop the mic? Say, I'm going to do whatever I want to do and just walk away. And at the end of the day, we all knew in the game. And it was funny because I turned to Ozzy Sr. And I love Jerry. People, anytime people are like, ah, because I know when the moment, the moment the team sold, it's, he might not be no longer. And I love Jerry, not in a baseball standpoint. I love him as a person standpoint. Baseball is a different story um, because that's business. But as a person, I think he's a great person. But when when he is talking to people on like we were expecting, including myself, because I jumped on this. I said A-Rod, I said Lunghao, I said Theo. I had a list of people that he should probably go out to eat and talk to. And there was a glimmer of hope, like in my head, like a fantasy that he was gonna go out there and do this. And he was never gonna do that. He was never going to do that because that's not his style. And that's the part which is interesting is like that even someone like as close as we are to him as that, that we were expecting like a little bit of change. But in reality, it's like we we like as soon as Bob Nightingale put out that out there, we're like, we should have been like, it's Chris. It's going to be Chris, maybe with a boss, maybe without a boss. Like, why are we expecting so many magic tricks? And in reality, I think that he's going to he's done a couple of things. He, he absolved Tony that this was Tony's fault. He's made that very clear. And he wanted Chris, and he wanted Chris to, to kind of be the guy. And and why not? It's his team. And people are like, oh, Chris. I said, well, should Chris be to blame? Like, why not Chris? People wanted a huge name. I think at the end of the day, you're going to have to do – whoever came in was going to have to do this work. There's just other guys out there that have done it before and have done it 
done it well. We're going to find out if Chris Gaz is one of those guys or not. Yep, that's for sure. And the last thing I had to bring up here was one of his last statements was, we're not going to be in on Otani, and there's no 10-plus-year contracts for starting pitchers. Now, ultimately, I may agree with just the overall subjectivity of that statement, but honestly, it leaves a distaste because you're you're admitting your own desperation, and at the same time, by telling me that you're not going to be on Otani or any 10-plus years contracts, which I wouldn't give to starting pitchers, but at the same time, you still need to spend that money for premium talent to go along with your development of your picks. And it just rubbed me wrong just because, yeah, I know that Jerry will spend money, but at the same time, I don't feel good about him turning that down that quickly when you're going to need premium talent at the end of the day. You were an idiot if you thought Otani was ever going to, number one, consider the Chicago White Sox, number two, be a, on the list of people that were going to go after him. I'm going to be honest, man. But that's not why I said that. I'm saying no, no, premium no, I'm talent saying, overall. With the 10-year deal, I'm going to be honest right now. I've been watching everybody's tweet about Miguel Cabrera, okay? And everyone basically is making fun of Miguel Cabrera. You should have retired four years ago. You should have done this. Any player that gets signed to a 10-year deal, at one point, fans are going to turn back and say, this guy has stayed too long, okay? So the 10-year deal is for a very, very small group of special players. Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, very, very small list, okay? The problem is when marketing, the cesspool, social media, tells us, that there should be people on this list that are worth the 10 years that are not worth the 10 years. Go ask the Baltimore Orioles, the, the, the signing that they created that put them back in, in, in a seven-year hole in their development or, or, or the Jason Wirfs of the world. There, there's been horrible signings. So by him saying, I'm not signing a pitcher and using the word pitcher is because agents are asking to get pitchers signed for 10 years. And he just told everybody out there, don't even come us with that BS. A silent shot to the future of saying, hey, you're going to come here, we'll pay you, but it's going to be for a short term, okay, max max deal contracts, and that's it. And I had no issue with that because if you thought about the Otani thing, it is what it is. But again, he was just being 100% honest and keeping it real. If you don't think the Sox are going to spend money, they just signed Benetani for $75 million. So that should be that's going to be the new threshold for anybody that comes in the future because anybody who comes in free agent is going to have to make more money than him uh-huh. because that's a negotiation. I got any player here, and I'm like, my guy needs to make more money than Ben Attendi if they're going to be in the same field. What do you mean? Ben Attendi's making $75 million. My guy's four times better than him. And, better you're, and, you're, and you're having these conversations while you're in a rebuild. Think about that. So, Correct. So th- that's why – I mean, I'm with you 100%, OJ, uh, even though it feels like Jerry is restricting himself, like, oh, we're not going to do this in the name of winning. It feels like that. But at the same time, what he said verbatim, I agree with. By the way, people are mad right now because you extended Moncada and Eloy. They're mad right now because they extended those guys to big contracts. 
They try to do that so they didn't have to sign guys 10 years out. And look, it bit them in the ass because they didn't have the, the scouting and the, and the magic ball that the Braves had with yeah. Albies and Acuna. That's a mistake. And right now they're thinking like, crap. Right now, by the way, right now, if the Pantera deal goes through and Pantera keeps being the Pantera he is right now, very great signing. Probably Pantera just got taken money-wise. Um, and it's a great signing for the team. So that's where Chris Getz needs to be able to get his win, where you need to develop, you need to develop players so that you can go out and spend smartly. That's the other part. We can't be going out there and getting middle relievers for $75 million when you haven't even won a first round of a playoff game. That's the other part. They, we, they spend $70 million or something, and they've never even had passed round one of the playoffs, but they want to spend all this money on the bullpen. That's bad baseball. You're, you yeah. spend money on the bullpen, that means you're not developing. Why? Because if you have enough starting pitching, the starting pitching that cannot start becomes relievers in the big leagues. It's simple. So the good teams don't go out and spend on relievers. You might go get one guy, a veteran guy in the middle of the year to kind of give you that pushover. But everybody else that's a really good team develops that relief pitching and spends at least some amount of money there. That was the first mistake. So when people say they don't spend, yeah, they have not landed the Manny Machados and the Bryce Harpers of the world. And yeah, they could have gone and paid overpaid for a couple guys, but with those, with that, do you guys think that Bryce Harper would be making a difference right now on this team? Do you guys really think so? No, because he's a first baseman. I'm just saying, do you guys think they would have signed Manny Machado? Do you think Manny Machado is making a difference right now on this team? No. Him hitting home runs and whatnot. Pantero's going to be a top three player in Major League Baseball, guys. Take that into consideration. 2022, 81 and 81 with the number, with the Cy Young of the American League, with all due respect to Justin Verlander. Dylan Seas was a Cy Young. Okay. He didn't get the award, but he was a Cy Young. Go look up the numbers. This year, they're going to have a top three MVP on the offensive side. And they're going to be 35 games, 40 games under 500. So they have, they've had the player. They just haven't been able to build around that player and stay consistent. I'll be honest, man. Chris Getz said something about the trainers. That's who they need to go look at. The fact that these guys play like 70 games together, use your analytics to find out who's going to get hurt or not. Like find a, a formula, an algorithm. Stop signing guys that are hurt. Look at the war. For all the crap that Pedro Grafal has been getting for playing Elvis Andrews, right now the only guy that should be probably signed next year as a backup is Elvis Andrews. Give him Period. like – Dude, the guy's got like a two-point-something war. He's the best player. Look, some of these guys' wars is just ridiculous. It's saddening because they're not even close to anywhere. So literally, Robert's clearing the, the team by himself. But, look, how, look how many offensive players we got at a sub-one war right now. That, that's, and that's an issue because it means you're not even producing – at a level of like, we're not losing games. This is probably people like, you're not losing games. We're not losing games because you're gone. We're losing games because you're playing. Correct, correct. It's, you're not losing games. Like you see Oakland's games and it's like tie game, sixth inning, and they have to bring a bad reliever and the guy gives it up and they couldn't hold on to the lead. There's probably like 40 games like that a year. That's not where the White Sides are at. The White Sides are not even getting in the game. That's the difference when you're comparing the Tigers – and the Sox and those teams of like those other teams are just like oh they don't have that middle reliever they don't have that depth in pitching where you you know after the second starter 
You just got three, four, and five are just like, you know, garbage. The Sox don't even, they're not even there. They're not even in that part of the conversation. That's why this growth to back to 500, people are talking about pennant races. They need to worry about back to 500, back to the division. Like, you got to take When's the time. last time we kicked somebody's ass, bro? When Pedro said it it's in, uh, in the offseason. That was the last time. That was the other day. And I'm black, so the other day could be like six months ago. And on that note, we are moving forward. Because, Chip, we're going to introduce a new series to this show. And it is called our MLB All-Time I'm sorry, Slav. Series. Sorry, Slav. We'll hear your, uh, your catcher next show while we're going on to first base. Miguel Olivo. And, yes, tonight we are focused on the catcher position. And I'll start it off. First, we're going to bring who it is, why we chose them, and ultimately where we're going to put them in our own lineup. Because after we do all the positions, we're going to show you our own roster construction constructed lineup. Um, and I'm going to start it off. All right. My all-time catcher is Ivan Pudge Rodriguez. And let me give you just some numbers because I do think uh, the new generations tend to forget them. Um, and I like to highlight them because it shows you a broad, a really broad picture. Um, his career numbers, he had a 296 career average, 334 OBP, 464 slug, 798 OPS, and a 106 OPS plus. And those are all his career numbers. Um, for his career awards, he had 14 all-star game appearances, one MVP, 13 golden gloves, seven silver slugger awards for defensive war. He was 29.6, which was actually eighth all time. And he had 14,864 putouts as a catcher in that second all time. And he had a one World Series championship in 03. Um, so clearly that's all the numbers and awards. Um, for me, when I'm picking my, all, my all-time players are all overall with batting, defense, baseball acumen, baseball IQ, everything put together. And that's why I chose Ivan as my all-around player for my all-time position as a catcher. And... Um, Needless to say, what you could do with the bat, we all saw. I know Junior saw on the field in front of him at a younger age, not only his bat, but what his arm can do as a catcher, throwing guys out with ease and his IQ. His IQ is, I'd say it's up there with Yadier Molina. Um, just how he handles his staffs. Um, I have true respect out of Pudge, who played for, well, most of the time that I was watching the game. It was when he was with that. I remember at least was with Detroit. Um, but yeah, that's my, uh, that's my all time catcher. And with my lineup, uh, he's batting eighth in my lineup. I'll give it to you, uh, Justin. I'll let you go next. Wow. So I'm actually picking Pudge too. And I'm be straightforward. He's the greatest fucking athlete to ever play the fucking position. Um, one of the top five all-time offensive players for the Texas Rangers. 
when you look at Yvonne Rodriguez, one thing stood out for me, like watching him, was he was like an Avenger. He was a superhero. Like watching, he was a like Sonic the Hedgehog as a catcher. Ran the cut the pillows perfectly, running the bases, electric arm. Everything about Pudge had some zip, electric, some some flair to it. And there's a lot of good catchers you could go. Johnny Bench, Gary Carter, fucking. I wanted to put Javi Lopez in this conversation. I just can't fucking do it. Like there's a lot of catchers you could have picked, my piazza. But Pudge Rodriguez is the the number one catcher of all time in my eyes. Um, all-time favorite American player in the American League. I love the American League as a conference. Love it. Um, unlike Gonzo, I'm not going to have him batting eighth. He's the best athlete uh, at the position. I'm going to have him batting second. If you look at what he did offensively, Pudge didn't walk a lot, but he didn't strike out a lot. So he had a very active bat. I could put a lot of plays on with Pudge at the plate. I could play small ball or I could have him swing with square and he could give me about 20 bombs, 25 bombs, even 30 bombs if we got that Rangers jersey on. So said all that to say this, you're going to have to give me the freaking Puerto Rican Pudge Rodriguez and I'm batting him number two. I like that. Reverse order, reverse positions in the lineup, me and you. Yeah. Hey, pause. All right, OJ. No, so I'm going to go a little bit different. So I'm going to say guys that I thought for the process. So Pudge was easy for me, and I was I thought I was being biased, and people were going to say, oh, you came out here and picked Pudge. I think that longevity for him at the level that he stayed, he came out to the big leagues at 19 and basically stayed, made the, the Texas Rangers competitive for the next 15 years where they didn't have the titles. But when you look at their record – I think it was like only like one or two seasons under 500. So always right. relevant uh, uh, teams. And he goes to the Marlins one year, only one year in Miami, um, a year that he, I saw him up close and personal, saw him every day, a year that basically transformed his career where he went from, uh, from winning the MVP in 1999 to my opinion, his best year is 2003 because what he was able to do with the staff, he had never had a young staff, um, like the, the Marlins. Oh, yeah, Beckett, Burnett, Brad Penny, Carl Pavano, and those Al guys, Ryder. Those guys transformed Don Will Those guys kind of transformed Ooh, themselves. And, Josh um, Beckett. I remember, remember him having um, a conversation of, the, he, he said in a team meeting, you guys have gotten me this far. And on the way into the playoff, he said, get on my shoulders. And they got on his shoulders. And the leadership that he had, uh, from there, I think that I liked I liked Pudge because ran really well for a catcher, very well. Could steal a lot of bases himself. Ran pretty good, pretty good. Uh, can beat you with a home runner. Can beat you with average. Uh, the way that he can go on, he actually walked a lot. He walked very well. Um, and I think that for me, it was a combination of both offense and defense because his defensive metrics are are just that much better. It's harder to judge older guys on defensive metrics. Because, again, the f- pitch framing and, and whatnot. I also think that he caught in an era where the game had changed. In the era of the slider, okay? Um, the era where people would say, well, guys were not running as much. But, yes, also no one was throwing 97 on a consistent yeah. game. He was catching some dudes. Um, he later, at the end of his career, he was catching Joel Zumaya, okay? I'm sorry, you know, Johnny Bench, you were not catching Joel Zumaya. 
maybe you could have, but you never got to. Um, and that's where I think the game had He would have need a replacement thumb. That thumb would have been oh, jacked right. the fuck up. It's the same from when you're in a catching position and you're there and you got a guy throwing seven innings, like Yogi Berra, for example. It's seven innings, same guy. The same guy throwing five days a week, seven innings, like it's a little different. Pudge was the era of the bullpen and staying on the game. So that baseball acumen on, on the game started getting more analytical. So for him, for me today, him, he was the guy just from what he was able to do. But guys up there, Johnny Bench, most underrated catcher ever, I think, is Jerry Carter. I think he's extremely underrated. Uh, Buster Posey um, yeah. is actually up there with one of the great ones that I got to see, that which I didn't appreciate much when he was playing just because of how boring he was. Um, but one of the best blocking ability. Probably, he was one of the best framers I've ever seen, framers, Buster Posey. Um, great, 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 great bat. Um and a guy that I saw in his prime, which later obviously couldn't even be considered a catcher, was Joe Maurer. But in his yeah, prime, he's yeah. one of the better ones that I saw. But I think I, I would go on my team, Ivan Rodriguez, just because of the versatility that I can either hit him second or I can hit him seventh. I'll be having him. He was the uh, the prototype to JT Real Muto. Like a lot of people love JT Real Muto for the same values that yeah, Pud yeah. brought to the table every day. Another guy that we didn't name that – he was a part of the Braves for when, you know, Chipper started getting old and they stopped winning early decade. Brian McCann. Um, I loved how Brian McCann wore the Tomahawk. Now, I live in Chicago, but we get the we get the Braves games on TBS back when he was playing. To to see Brian McCain carry himself with fucking pride when your best fucking teammate is Jeff Francoeur in right field and you still like we talk about the White Sox. They don't give a fuck about the front of the jersey. Like, Brian McCann made sure if you're on the 25-man roster, you care about the front of the jersey. Walking 20 home runs, drove in 100 times, more times than not. You know, just a just a professional guy. Just a dude that you want and, representing your team. And I'm going to be biased. I've only been on one yacht in my life for like a like – a, like, I've been on a couple, but this one I got to stay for multiple days. I got to go on a couple vacations with Pudge. On his on his yacht to uh, the island, I don't think Johnny Bench owns a yacht like that. So I, I would I would I would I, that's why it's Pudge. Like you would get to his house, there was a statue of him in bronze, and then his boat would be sitting in the side of his water. Like oh, he the goat goat. So that's that's like level level of goatness. And and you know what I respect about him, which is something that it's awesome. And and, and Ivan is such a great guy. Uh, great family, but we were in uh, uh, Turks and Caicos, is called, okay, and we, uh, they had just won the World Series, okay, we were on this boat, it was Thanksgiving, and we're just drinking and partying, and like, it was just like, you know, his family, our family, like, just think about it, like, you know, you're 20 years old, like, debauchery, okay, and Ivan used to travel with, with his, uh, with his fitness guy, okay, he was like one of his buddies and a chef, which was the best. And he was like, hey, bring your glove and your stuff because we're going to throw on the trip. And I, we, my brother and I packed it thinking it was BS. And the guy wakes us up like at 730 in the morning, mind you, hung over as hell. Back then I used to drink. And Yvonne was like ready to go. He wasn't a big drinker, big partner, but. We, we go to this freaking soccer field, just middle of Turks and Caicos, like probably never had a baseball on there. 
and Yvonne did drills and was doing long toss. And mind you, Oni and I are, are, are college age at this point, meaning we were pretty good baseball players. He was throwing so far in his, in his, in his off season workout that he had, it was Yvonne, Oni and me. So he was throwing the ball like to me, line a line, like past line a line, like a fucking relay race, like a relay race. But he was throwing the whole way through, like he was throwing. I'm, we're used to throwing line a line. He was throwing more than line a line, and we're like, we weren't that. We weren't so much impressed the fact that he was throwing it, but we're like, this guy just got done throwing. This guy just got done winning the World Series, and he is getting ready, like he is going to his first big league camp. This is why he is. My by the way, mind you, my dad's like sleeping and we're like this is why you're not a hall of famer because you're asking because right? you were sleeping when you were playing you were but but the, we were the just, room is still spinning and he's worried about his damn pop time after a championship correct <laughs> correct like we're like the, the, the level of dedic and by the way he did it we were there for like six days he got up and worked out every morning that he was that he was on the trip and that was just something that he just did his at like his work ethic to being the best at what he could do. That's what I respect the most. That's why he's on my team, just because I saw him just be obsessed and and just being able to go there and being the best. And you know how they say, like, oh, when you're a catcher, you don't you always have to worry hit last. He always made time for catching and then also be a great hitter. He did that also by spending pretty much day and night being in the game of baseball 24-7. And that's when you're that, if you're doing anything, it's like your first year in the Bailey's like, yeah, dude, we're, we, Corey Lee, I expect you to do that. But you just got done winning the World Series, pretty much a Hall of Famer at that point, after he had just won it. And your level of dedication is, I'm going to get up at Turkish Caicos. It's like 110 degrees. I'm leaving my yacht with my chef and my wife in the bed to go work out. <laughs> when no one's watching you, that's, 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 that's like next level. It's dedication right there. That's dedication. That's like that you, you you're born with that and you have that that level of habit that you just have to respect. That's why he's a Hall of Famer. Um yeah. that's why he's a Hall of Famer. That's just making a legacy right there at the end of the day. Yeah, that's just showing off at that point. That's just that's just showing off. And he did it, man. And I love the fact that he 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 hung in the game and 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 he became a backup. And and here's the part people don't there's kids out there, Gonzalez has said it. There's people that think that Yvonne Rodriguez his prime was with the Tigers. People no, and it wasn't. He had been that's like Carlton Fisk with the White Sox. Like people don't even know that he had played with the Red Sox. Like I didn't as a kid, but they were so great consistent wise that you're like, man, this guy was like 40 years old and playing this well. I ain't gonna lie. I would rather see Pudge play his whole career in Comerica than Texas. Because if he did. We're talking about three thousand hits right now. Oh, I think I think that the Texas thing and he got knocked on it. They didn't have an indoor stadium, and catching in that heat. Um, I, I grew up, so people don't know that I, I'm a big Rangers fan. It was mm. like my second team. Just I like know I, that's why you like Igor. I my favorite player is probably he is a juicer. So people, don't, you know, he probably stole two. Probably stole a couple MVP from Frank. But I just like the Rangers a lot, so I watch a lot of Texas Ranger baseball. And that was like the problem every year. The guys would get gassed, you know. Um, guys would just get gassed, and and you know, Yvonne, Yvonne would get gassed, and uh, oh, they're gonna play well, but they're gonna get gassed at the end of the season. And it seemed that it's something that affected them, and it could have been some truth. Yvonne leaves Texas, and he has more postseason success 
and more postseason wins and a better run yeah. in the other cities that he goes to. Marlins and then with Detroit, he is a he is a he's a centerpiece of the Miguel Cabrera Magma. Pretty much the Tigers just went and grabbed Miguel Cabrera and and uh and um and Yvonne and build around them and brought in Maglio, Carlos Guillen, and they build a team of a combination, but he looked that much younger, I think, because the weather didn't affect them as much, which again it's something that hey. I don't know, bro. Detroit not winning it with Mags, Carlos Guillen, Miggy, and Pudge. That's one an epic failure, bro. One, one, one check swing away, the ground ball, the ball was thrown away against the Cardinals. Um, that's yeah. that, that's what it was. Because if not, Yvonne would have had two World Series in less than a five-year span. Um, same thing with Miggy. Uh, but again, you cannot deem his time in, 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 in Detroit a failure because he did have success. No. And, and pretty much when you look at the numbers, even as a backup player – you know, towards the end of his career. Um, like with the Nats and every when he went back to Texas too. When he went back to Texas. But I think that doing this exercise really gives you value on guys that you might not spend much time on, like Gary Carter. I think I had him way undervalued. Um, you see other guys that you have overvalued. Um, or the 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 or or when you look at players that were successful, that you really don't there hasn't been that many. Okay, guys that have hit 40 home runs in the catcher position. That if you have a catcher that can hit 20, 25 home runs and you and win walk, it and you and you you're walking 60 plus times, you're you 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 have a really good one. If he can put a catching glove on and and you can get away with being like Mike Piazza, probably one of the best offensive players of all time, but he was horrible at catching where his you know wars like 1.5 just defensively, he literally cost you runs behind the plate. And that's why I don't have him in the top ones because it's not an all-around thing. But if you have a combination of of guys that can catch, throw a little bit, but put the ball in play, that you're better off having a more balanced, well-rounded position than just a pure hitting. I, I think that you lead that for the DH or, or one of the other positions. I think that you have to have some defensive ability behind the plate in order for your team to be successful. Uh, before we do, just quick before we leave the subject, I want to give a, a special thanks to the the honorable mentions for the catchers: AJ Brzezinski, Jorge Posada, Jason Veritek, Greg Vaughn, Avi Lopez, and my all-time favorite backup catcher, Rod Barajas. Thank you for making a good fan out of me. Enjoy watching you guys play the game. Posada, by the way, one of the most underrated catchers of all time. He's a fucking Yankee. Let's uh, change the subject. Compare his numbers to Yadi. Fuck him. Why are you so mad about the game? Why? <laughs> but you know who's going to be really, you know who's going to be in that list one day? Rob Naylor. Uh, that's cool. All right, hey. I just, I just want to see my boy Sean Murphy in there one day. Hey, he's Never. Got, he's, he's got fake, a... fake Gary Carter. He's a platoon player. He's a glorified platoon player. Thank God Atlanta got Travis Darno, or it would have been a terrible trade. I, I'm yeah. sure he was on the White Sox. Don't matter. <laughs> Matter of fact, I miss I miss Ramon Castro. I miss the oh. Oliva. The Braves, the Braves are smart that they just don't want to burn out Murphy when it's playoff time. Especially when you got a when you can play Murphy at DH and he got hamstring issues. Get Darno them at bats. Got to do what you got to do. But I believe consistency mm-hmm. is huge, though. Consistency is huge. Yes. And, folks, that wraps it up for the catcher position. Next week, we will roll on to our first baseman, and hopefully our boy Slav is with us. 
So we can yeah, go. By the way, do we have a DH or are we just doing first? Yes, pick? yes, yeah. yes. There will be DH. I, I have a bone to pick, though, because the Chicago White Sox, this is why they get, in, they, they get under my skin, man. When they announced uh, Miguel Cabrera, they said the greatest first baseman of all time. <laughs> well, they at the state of the other day, they said Miguel Cabrera. What a statue of Frank Thomas. I said, what the hell? I said, the best player in this franchise history is Frank Thomas. You just slapped him in the face. And he, Miguel's not even the best first baseman of all time. You're gonna go that way. You're gonna say it's Albert Pujols. He might be the number wait, two. Wait, do they got a Dick Allen statue at the park? No, he no. But they count as the greatest White Sox of all time. No, no, no. I'm just saying because you oh, know Jerry get card. Jerry Jerry get happy with the statues. They got two first base statues at the fucking park. But now all of a sudden, Miguel Cabrera is the greatest first baseman of all time. Correct. But this is your fault, that. Ian Stone. But, you put us in this position, Ian Stone. No, but 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 he was so he said it, and I was like, "What the f-? like?" I was like, "Dude, some res- some." But it's gonna be interesting though because first base for us, if we get if we did it for catching, I need to stay consistent. I have to include the glove. I don't know when's the last That's time really I got to first base because first base is a list of the shittiest defenders of all time. When I look at it, <laughs> there's a long list of like guys on that list that you're like, "Oh crap." Oh, uh, speaking of first base, uh, not Guy Eddy, my favorite account on Twitter, John Olerud won. Most underrated player of the year this year. He had a poll on Twitter, and John Olerud was the most was named most underrated player. Batman is underrated. Very so underrated. He might be on some. Might be on somebody list next week. Before we move forward, um, OJ, I know that you probably haven't put together your lineup yet. But where are you leaning towards putting your uh? Oh, I got boy, it. Our boy seven. Pudge. No, no, he's hitting seventh. Okay. Okay. Wow, so y'all just gonna disrespect the goat got him batting down in a basement like he's fucking hey, it's a strategy. somebody. It's a it's strategy. A strategy by, the way, by the way, Barry Bonds is on my team. What the fuck you want me to hit him third? I got <laughs> where's Barry Bonds playing? Wherever he wants to. We'll get to that. Don't Barry worry about Bo- it. Barry Bonds ain't better than Carlos Lee. Get the fuck. Get the fuck out of here. By the way, I, I Barry Bonds is so good. I, I might just have Barry and be like Pittsburgh Barry. Just to just be like. Don't even include his San Fran number. I'm just going to go Pittsburgh Barry. Go ahead. And on I'll that, pick Jason Bay and have a better left fielder. On that note, we are going to end the streak of Justin. Wow. I had to end it. I was disgusted. Okay. On that note, boys, Robert is off the board. Slavko finally got a victory after a very, very long silence from our man. Um, He actually allowed Jay to come back and tie him up. But now, Slav won his sixth pick of the year. Oh, Robert's off the board. Like I said, Slavko is going with Tim Anderson as his pick to click. Always bet on black. Ooh. On that note. What you're saying? Ooh, for I'm telling King. On that note. You wonder why the black delegation hates you, Gonzo. Yeah, it's not like bringing up race when every chance we get to talk about it. Yeah, that's what I thought. All right. On that note, it's going to be Slav, Jay, me, and then Junior. 
Junior needs to fight back because we got four weeks to go. I'm, Pedro, I'm the Pedro Grafal. I'm just pick the click. <laughs> yeah, Baldy, you're going down. I'm so, sorry. Jay, you're on the clock. So, I had a long-ass one-week losing streak, apparently. And it ends right now. We had a whole fucking segment talking about the greatest catcher of all time. All right. So I'm just going to pick the greatest catcher in Sox history, Corey Lee. Uh, it's amazing that you people gave me the easy way out again. I had Moncada two weeks ago. That fell into my lap. Now we got Corey Lee. You're about to see the ISO. You're going to see the BABIP, and you're going to see the slug. Uh, earlier in the show, the great Bambino said he would choose a great defensive catcher over an offensive catcher. It's the most important defensive position on the field. I'm not going to argue with that. But when you have a guy like Corey Lee with right-handed thunder and a youthful body, you have to take advantage of that. I love the swing that Rick Hahn did making a trade for him. And it's going to pay off because now he's my pick to click and I'm saying nice things about him. So I'm not going to lose this week. I'm picking my cousin, Corey Lee. Let's go, cuz. Yeah, Man, that was going a- down, Gonzo. That was some hindsight, man. Looking at your name tag, I should I, I should have saw this coming. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're going Corey Lee. Um, I feel like I've had a couple victories with. This man Gonzo then froze hey, out. Wait, who who Gonzo couldn't? Uh, that's a that's a forfeit. He can't pick nobody. Yeah. He can't pick after me. By the way, who who does Slav pick? Slav got TA. Like literally, this man, this man's computer had a stroke or something. It's like stuff. Well, I wonder. I I know that he's not going to pick the guy I got because if not, I'm gonna be mad. Why? Who you got, Eloy? No. <laughs> Why not? You're not picking the good players. No. I'm I'm riding with my guy. I'm going. I'm going. Yo yo. You know. Yeah, yeah. I know because you want to win too. You want to win too. I do. Like for all the people out there. If you want to win, pick the click with your friend group. Pick Moncada at least twice a month. Did you see the home run he hit today? I did. A fucking nuke. Like, the, the sound on TV, the acoustics, was absolutely they sounded. They sounded sexy. Yes. All right. So, Eloy is my pick to click. <laughs> I told you! <laughs> Eloy is my pick to click. I um, <laughs> I froze. I'm All right. going Moncada. You're going Moncada? Smart. That, you know, see that what was. Saying, that's smart. Um, I forgot who said it. Um, during the broadcast, they were talking about beautiful swings, but having no approach. And it just reminded me of like. The majority we've seen out of Mankato over the last several years, a beautiful stroke and no hitting approach. So you know well, what? That's I just the, passive. I love the fact that that uh, that he went deep because during the the Tiger series, I watched him live. I'm sitting right behind the the on deck circle uh, for the three game series. I won every game, and uh, he was taking some cock shots. He was taking yes. some, some meatballs on the middle, and then he was taking meatballs on the middle, and then he was extremely late on the fastball. So it looked like he was guessing because there was a couple shot, a couple uh, swings that he took on some pitches that he ended up striking out on in those at bats that he was like super late on the ball and, and and it wasn't a velocity where you should be late 
Yeah, um, no. He, he was trying to ambush. He was trying to ambush pitches that are right on top of you. Yeah. Why are you chasing? Why are you chasing prey that is walking up on you? Just attack. Yeah. So I, I was I was very happy that I was able to get a, the home run because when I saw him, I was actually very concerned because he he looked he looked outmatched, which usually shouldn't happen to someone with his ability. Um, but it must have been something that he must have either been seeing wrong. I'm not going to blame anyone, but I thought it was more on the scouting report um, because he wasn't the only one that that was happening to. <laughs> it looked like they gave him the scouting report to the wrong pitcher. And I was like, why are they so late on everything? Um, but again, that's a different story. But because uh, you can usually tell if the teams look comfortable or uncomfortable. He was taking some weird hacks on some and then taking some meatballs on the middle. I was like, yeah, at least hit that ball, foul ball, 400 feet. That's an interesting point there. Just because, I mean, you saw it up for face value, and um, you're thinking with a guy like Getz with them praising him for development, and you'd think that possibly uh, this would change, but we're, we're continuing to see it, no matter no, if it is. Problem. Well, this is this is it. Well, he just said it. It's not a development issue. This is a prep issue. It's a prep issue. So the only guy that should have shoved this week that he was just nasty was a KC guy, game one. Uh, Cole Reagan. Oh, God. Is that that guy was there's that guy was the fact that he got traded for Chapman. Whoo, they're gonna regret that one for a long time. He keeps pitching that way. He was as close as you can get to unhittable, even if you know that it's coming. He was that nasty. The, the oh. he was just that nasty. The Tigers guys, even even Erod the first night, he was not on his stuff. So you shouldn't have looked as outmatched as you were. TA got him a couple of times because he actually the only one that did not look outmatched in the series was actually Tim Anderson. He actually looked like mm-hmm. he was on top of the ball on every swing, but everybody else was like either late or or taking weird weird count takes, um, and it seemed like they were a little bit off on the Tiger series. When you watch that, I hadn't watched that many games in a row that close from the same seat, so I had the same seat three days in a row. So I'm watching the same sequence. So it's like it's as close as I'm getting to the bench. So I'm looking at the approaches, and they OJ. all off. Look at let's just go back to the Erod start. Now we both know. Off face value, Erod didn't have his best stuff. No. Why the hell did it seem like he was pouring it right on top of the White Sox hitters? Why were you protecting yourself in hitters counts? Correct. You looked at the gun and you're not like you look at the gun and you're like 98. You're like ah, like you look. Yeah. He's just but you look. I at could the be tardy on that. Hey, you could you just get you just get pass on a 91, 90, like, 91 cutter middle in and yeah, you're, and you're late in, in big league level. That's that's a meatball. That's and at least if you're not getting it for a hit, you're turning on that ball and you're hitting it like opposite w- w- again, which is the difference between the difference with the Tigers hitters, where you saw Miggy, who he had not looked that great in previous at bats, come up against Tuki Tuki Tuki, and turn on two balls that it had been 2013. They might have landed in the concourse. Cause he just yeah. squared that, him up. That, those balls, those balls wouldn't be in the bleachers. That's no. concourse. So the, he squared him up. He just hit it right at Ben Attendi, but he squared him up. So <laughs> he was like, he must have been seeing Tuki Tuki like a beach ball, and then he took him. Then he went opposite opposite field, and he wasn't the only one. Like all those guys were like, they, they were swinging like they either knew what was coming or the, the they had a really good approach to the ball to the at bats. Uh, well, well, look at Park. Look at Parker Meadows. He was a rookie. Like he still, he can't even go to the liquor store for me, and he was digging into the box like he was his yeah. older brother. So that's gone. So that's the, people need to understand this, and we can talk in the next show about this. The difference between development 
okay? And in-game preparation. And that's when we make fun of the eye pitch. It's like, okay, the eye pitch is a machine that prepares you for the game, but that eye pitch has a program. And how quickly are you adjusting if that program is the wrong one? I got a game plan. It's like war. We got a game plan. They're football. They got a, this defense, that offense. In basketball, the coaches call timeout, timeout after a five-point scoring, and we change the scheme. In baseball, you don't have to call timeout. When you come into the bench, you say, hey, that whole report that we just ran for two hours, scratch that. This guy is going, and that's when a coach gives you the breakdown. That doesn't happen no more. Boom, 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 see, boom, but boom. I, I mean, I see what you're saying, but when I say development, like I just see that game prep as a part of development. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the game prep. That's yeah, the maturation have... for your habits in the big league. Correct, correct. They should be game prepping. They should be game prepping, okay? And that's when you use exit velocity, okay, in, 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 in game preparation. You have to use game preparation and how this player is assimilating the game preparation. Because if I tell you, hey, this is a game plan, and you go up there and you just completely disregard it, because as a coach, I can give you my preparation. I can be like, this is what the attack's going to be. And if that's exactly what that pitcher's doing and you're just not even paying attention, now we have a real big problem because we had the preparation right you, and you didn't adjust to it. The hard part is that when you, you don't have the preparation right just because they changed the scheme on you, the good preparation, the good development is how do you change from being agile to change it up? That's when a, when a pitcher goes up to the mound, a pitching coach goes up to the mound, it's easier to give you a breather or change something up. I change up, you know, the, the first pitch that you're looking, the, what you're taking. So I, I always say this, good players adjust uh, series by series, like game by game. Okay players do it series by series. Great players do it at bat per at bat. Hall of Famers do it pitch by pitch. There's guys that see one pitch and they're like, they're adjusting. Like they'll adjust pitch by pitch. There's guys that do it bat by at bat. The quicker that you can adjust to the game plan that the other team has against you, the better you're going to be as a player, and you're going to be able to make those adjustments. I'm going to show y'all something. I'm going to show y'all something right now. Right now, I'm going to show you something right now. But as he goes and finds that, we're going to start to wrap it up here. Let's give the chat here the update of the picks. It's going to be Slav going with TA. Jay, you're going with Corey Lee. I'm going Eloy Jimenez. Junior, Yohan, Mankata. The standings are, I got seven. Uh, Slavko has six. Justin has five. And OJ has three with four weeks to go. And before we do shout outs, did you want, you say you want to show something? Uh, yeah, I just want, I just want to, I just want to speak on what OJ was talking about with development and prep. Like if you look at most of the instructors around the country, they're teaching younger guys exit velocity. How to create a swing that gives you more exit velocity. Now let's revert back to Frank Thomas. Frank Thomas was one of the greatest right-handed sluggers of all time. But he isn't the GOAT because he hit every ball hard. He is the GOAT because he didn't need exit velocity to be successful. OJ, you've seen it firsthand. How many broken bat two-run singles Frank Thomas got? Well, you do it because you also have a great approach because you make that adjustment and you're hitting the pitch that you're not supposed to hit and you have enough power where you generate yourself a base hit because you're fighting off the pitch. And those are those infield singles. And again, the hard thing with guys like Frank and Miguel is that you have no speed. So you're not getting a lot of infield singles. You're Tim Anderson, Ozzie Guillen. You're going to get, you know, you're going to get 20 of those bastards. Um, 
you know, um, and that's the reality. But those comes when you when you see those broken bat base hit singles, it's because they threw a nasty pitch and you just out you're, you're yeah. and you find a way to get hits. You're staying inside on the ball. Because um, imagine, imagine if Frank put a swing on a pitch like that, that nasty back foot that's supposed to either yeah. get him to hit into a dope. Imagine if he put the, the square swing on there trying to drive it for exit velocity. How many fucking double plays and in and in? Oh, yeah, for, for sure. Here's the other shit thing. Though, he hit too. When, when, you, when you see a player, like, piss on a ball that just gets destroyed, it's because it was a pitcher's mistake. Very rarely do you see a player piss on a ball full exit velocity when a pitcher makes his pitch. Usually when a pitcher makes his pitch and a guy gets him, it's like a, you know, like a, oh, like a flare or best case scenario, double yep. ball. But it's usually not squaring up mistakes. Like you're usually not squaring up. Uh, I'll give you an example. We were up here. The home run that that Ronald Acuna hit off of Lance Lynn. That was In not the best pitch. Lance Lynn left a hanger, and Acuna mm-hmm. just eats off of those hangers, and that's the big difference. And when you're seeing at bats and approach and that's why guys like bats longer through the zone um because if, if you if you see slow pitching and you're gonna see meatballs you're gonna see what joy gallo did to that position player every day if that was the game it'd be like slow pitch softball and that's the difference when people talk about exit velocity and actually battling in an at bat because you're not using a metal bat and the pitch is not always perfect in the zone so you're not going to hit a squared up slider that's thrown the right location at the right speed you're gonna nick it and get a base hit, but you ain't squaring that bad boy up. No way you are. Uh, uh, imagine you telling a right-handed power hitter, okay, try to put the barrel on this back foot slider. I'll show you a broken shin. I'll show yeah. you a bro- a, a swollen ankle. Like, you're teaching exit velocity, but you're not teaching approach. Exit velocity is a result of a good approach. You're when skipping steps. First of all, if you see Miguel Cabrera hitting the ball up the way Frank Thomas, the reason they went deep is because they're also 6'4". 240 and other guys yeah. are like not big enough to hit it out. So that that's that's uh and that's when we were looking at when I when I'm looking at building out this roster, I'm looking at the well-balanced. I'm not looking at the freak shows just because you hit 60 home runs or you hit 70 or you hit a, had a crazy season. I'm looking at the best competitive team and that's why the teams that are the best teams are the teams that are well-balanced, the teams that can find those weird hits against amazing pitching cuz that's that's what it takes to win. And on that note, we're going to be going on to shout-outs. And I'll start it off. I'm going to shout-out my one and only Soraya. It was her birthday, and that's why we end up in Vegas over the weekend. Oh, happy birthday! birthday. Yes. She had an amazing 28th birthday in Vegas. Um, um, But besides her, uh, i got to give you guys a shout-out because you guys actually put on one hell of a show last week. Um, It was really smooth and short, and I enjoyed it. Um, don't give me that look, Justin. All right. No, you saying you enjoying something smooth and short? I'm just waiting on the pause. <laughs> pause. At least we know you shaved. Other, <laughs> Jesus. All right, I'm gonna give other shout outs to Derek in the chat. I saw a lot of good comments from the great uh, Gambino or great Bambino. My bad. The great Bambino. Um, and I saw Gabe in the chat as well. Gabe in the chat. Daisy just stopped falling asleep on the in the 108. I saw a picture of him Ooh. sleeping. I thought, yes, he fell asleep, but I, you know what? It was hot and the team was playing bad. <laughs> um, also, Mike Martin, that was all summer. 
Sheesh. Mike Martin was in there too. Shout out to you, Mike. Um, thank you, everybody, for giving us all your views, our, your loyalty. Wow. We appreciate it. Um, Justin, go ahead. Who do By you the got? way, uh, Gabe's, Gabe's summer is about to get worse. Yeah, the Packers <laughs> about to play the Bears. Hey, stop old. fucking playing, man. I'm hey, just saying, you're gonna, this You're not going to do this. I'm just this saying. is what you're not going to do. By the way, I'm just saying, like, I'm just, no. I'm just thinking about that. This could be no. the worst month for White Sox fans slash Bears fans. Look, my, my guy Junior said the Bears are going to win more games in September than the White Sox. I blocked him. I'm just, I, hey, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm going in very confident. But after my Guardians getting destroyed by, shout out not to Lucas Giolito for knocking out my Guardians. I, I will officially, I'll officially say that our season is over. I, I will, I will, I will say it here. Gonzo was right. My prediction on them winning the division is completely gone. Uh, I like I this part. I blame, I blame Lucas. I blame Lucas. I was, we were in it. Yes. The mouth. Yes. Great guy. Lucas is a great guy, but he eliminated three franchises this season. Yeah. He pitched for three franchises. All you, holding hope. You are mathematically eliminated because you employ Lucas Giolito. I'm not going to. You lie. can say I, that for three teams. I was I, I was very excited when they got him. I thought that the conversation with with Cleveland, they they had they had something on him in the video, and that's why they picked him up. What do you mean excited? Well, I'm just saying, like you're Cleveland, you're a pitching team. You go and you release all these guys, but then you pick up Lucas Giolito over other guys, and I you, actually. Rather see Noah Syndergaard on the mound than Lucas well, right. that, that was I would my, rather see David Fry on the mound. That was, that, was, that, was my hope. that was like you let Noah go, you let Noah go. So you must have seen something that you think you can fix on this guy. It wasn't fixed. Uh, it was probably the worst game I've seen all year from my tribe, and uh, it was horrible. So I'm I'm, oh. I'm, I'm giving it. I'm, I'm giving up on that one uh, because I've lost complete hope. Uh, so none of my teams will be in the playoffs this year that I said that they were going to be like my dark horses and stuff. All right, Jay, what you got? I just want to give a shout out to the one and only Asia. Uh, once again, we had another good fantasy week. We popped in fat ass 10 to 7. This week, we're going to try to do it again, run the table back. We got to spin them before the playoffs. Uh, actually, got to give a shout out to Slavko. He got older uh, this Sunday. Happy belated birthday, Slavko. Um, I'm just really lucky to talk about my favorite sport with a, a bunch of great people, uh, the bad guys, the scumbags. I get to talk about my favorite team. I know that fucking sucks. I didn't even want to say that on the podcast. Talk wait, about my favorite team. We don't – our next show, we, we it's already – it's after week one, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to announce it now. Jay about to get whooped. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my sh- my shout outs have turned into a fucking WWE promo. You listen up, Gian Grid. We're coming for you. Trevor Lawrence, Debo Samuel. Don't get beat by me in fantasy football. Don't get beat by me in fantasy football. They tried to they tried to put a hit out on Uncle Kelsey today at practice. Not happening. It doesn't matter. We're coming for you, Gian Grid. Be ready. I'm just saying though. Me picking, I was picking guys the way that they looked in their uniform. I know. <laughs> This is the most black men you've picked in fantasy in your life. Forever. This, this NFL I was fantasy the guys insane looking. Is this guy looking to get in trouble? Does he look like an injury? I was looking at injury reports. I said, I need guys to stay on the field. Does this guy, does this guy play for the Raiders, and what car does he drive? Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> so don't get beat by me. 
Don't get beat by me. I got I something done. for you. I got something for you. Getting good. I am the Oakland Athletics. I'm the Oakland Athletics of fantasy. Before I wrap it up, that actually reminds me. Shout out to everybody in the Blackout Show Fantasy Football League. That includes you, Juan, you, Ray. Um, obviously, OJ and Justin are in it, and, but okay. also Russ. Shout out to my uncle, Mimo, Shattown's finest. Thanks for joining. We got Kool-Aid in there, Dre. Let's get it on. Russ, Nick, um, Shattown's finest, which it w- was his uncle. Um, thank you, uncle, for joining. And last but not least, Kevin, who I'm going up against. Kevin, my aim is on you right now, boy. Kevin in our gra- uh, group chat? Uh, no, 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 Kevin. Um, oh, little, jo- little Joe's KG. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Pray Thank you for the vodka, KG. but we're about to pour the vodka on your on the team. Yeah, hey, pull me a shot first. Will you do that? Yeah, I got you. Thanks. Um, other than that, that wraps up our shoutouts. Everybody, thanks for listening to episode twenty-five of the Blackout Show, presented by the Gian Grid. Thank you for watching, listening from Gonzo, myself, from Justin Lee, from Ozzie Jr. Everyone, thank you for watching and tune in for next week as we go ahead and show you our all-time first baseman. You're not getting the first base. Thank you for listening.